how's it going and welcome to episode 111 of on the wire proud member of the pictureless podcast network follow the pod on the twitter at on the wire pod you can follow me at 80 grade that's all spelled out and you can follow kevin hasting at hasting kevin but unfortunately once again kevin is off again this week instead i am joined by the head of baseball information at underdog fantasy name's brendan tuma who should be followed on the twitter at too much tuma and can be found writing all the baseball insight and analysis over at underdognetwork.com slash baseball. Brandon, thanks for so much for joining me this week. How's the, the first three weeks of baseball trading you so far? I'm loving this time of year. I think the rule changes that have gone on have been a universal success. Anyone I talk to, whether it's a young analytical fan or my dad I'm talking to about how he's feeling about baseball nowadays. Everyone loves the pitch clock. I feel like it's brought such life to baseball, and I think it's really hopeful for the future of the sport and the interest of it and what we're talking about, fantasy and games and all that sort of thing. I'm in a great place with baseball right now. It's nice for this sport to feel like they're actually doing some things right in terms of promoting it and (laughs) making it a better game, more enjoyable for the fans. Yeah, all good on my end. The ads that they put out, Right before the season started, especially the one with Joey Votto, who's he hit the ball through the non-shift and he just says the whole thing about, well, that's a hit now. What are they going to do? Make the bases bigger? Those are nice. The Vogel, Vogelbach did one with, with Showbach. Like you said, they're doing a good job of promoting or doing a better job of promoting, especially getting players' faces out there as well, which you really think that baseball players would be more recognizable to the main screen. They're not wearing something over their face at all times, mm-hmm. but it does tend to see that like football players get noticed more often, even though they're wearing a helmet the entire time they're playing the game. It is nice. Same here. I've talked, everybody I've talked to, unfortunately for, for me, I had to travel back home over the week for a funeral. So I saw a whole bunch of people in my family that I hadn't seen in a long time. And of course they know, or they get a sense of what I do on a regular basis. And that is following baseball. So they all ask me about that. And I'm agreeing, totally agreement. Big fan of pretty much everything that's gone down so far. Uh, We could get in a whole nother podcast talking about when any kind of little adjustments that could be made here or there. So we won't do that. We have a lot to talk about just as far as fab goes and the moves that baseball is making or things that have happened throughout the week that are going to adjust how you look at fab. So let's get into it, Brennan. Let's talk about the news and notes of the last couple of days, specifically this last week, that may affect how you are spending your fab dollars. Let's start in Atlanta, where Orlando Arcia, he hit the IL. He's going to be out for a while. So as to shock nobody, Von Grissom was recalled and he returned to Atlanta starting at shortstop. Based on what he had been doing both in his time at the in the minors early on in the season and how he ended last year and where he was being drafted, assuming he was going to be on the opening day shortstop for Atlanta. How much of a priority should he be, do you think, in this fab period where he's available if he can actually even be picked up? It's a really tough pill to swallow for anyone who did draft him because, again, depending on league format, if you have a thin bench, he was probably one of your first cuts of the season. So for him to be right back up, just a couple of weeks in, if you might have lost him or now you have to spend a lot of fab, that does make it really tough. I'm interested, of course. I think everyone's going to be interested, especially with all the middle infield injuries we saw this week. And I think for me, 
with these small samples we have right now with both the major leagues and the minor leagues, it's so hard to know what's real, what's not real. There's a few stats you can look into on both the pitching side and the hitting side. I like to look at some plate discipline stuff for hitters. I think for Grissom, it's not just that in AAA that he was striking out less than usual. It's that he's really cut his swinging strike rate. That doesn't mean it's going to last all season long. Again, he's coming back up to the majors, but that's just one little thing that I can point to as a reason to be pretty optimistic about what he's going to do now that he's got a little bit of runway here with the Braves. Yeah, you got to assume, obviously, he's going to be here for a while. And I was just looking it up. I was a little surprised. He's regularly rostered across both 12-teamers and 15-teamers. I'm looking at just the main event and the online championships on the NFBC platform. Don't at me if you're in the Yahoo League and he's obviously available or something like that. But 82% rostered in the OCs and the mid-90% rostered in the main event. So there were a lot of people who drafted him who did not want to lose that draft capital right off the bat, assuming that he would get called up. That was their stash. And so... He's, he is available in a few leagues. So you want always want to check your wire and still only second base eligible, at least on the NFBC platform. So he should gain that shortstop eligibility in short order. I would assume by the end of next week, if he's playing pretty much, if he's playing every day, when Atlanta has a bunch of games. All right, let's, let's go down to Florida here with Tampa Bay. Some good news. Taj Bradley, their top prospect, never mind their top pitching prospect, still in the minors, made his MLB debut. And let's go a little bit negative. He immediately got sent right back down to the minors. And on top of that, literally a couple hours later, Jeffrey Springs, he left his start with left arm ulnar neuritis. Uh, he's still not on the IL yet from, I'm checking the wire, making sure that didn't come through, but it is expected he's going to be out for months with an S at the end there. N- no clue as to f- if it's going to be longer than that, two months, three months, what have you, but definitely going to be out for a while. Are you expecting Bradley to come right back up? Because obviously without any kind of an injury, he would have to stay down there for at least the 15 days. But with the injury, he is an option now. Would you expect since his starts pretty much do line up with Springs to him to be the backup? Or do you think Tampa plays any kind of games and calls somebody else up? I think this is a really interesting spot. And by the time that most leagues run fab, which is on Sunday night, we maybe will have news on Taj by then, maybe not. We're recording this Saturday night and I plan a league that has fab run tonight. And since we don't know about Taj Bradley, whether he's officially going to come back up, I'm almost wondering if I could sneak him through for maybe a little less, but at the same time, there's still the risk that he doesn't come back up. But I'm going to call Tampa's bluff on just the idea that he's not going to be right back up because they're missing Springs. They're missing Eflin. Glass now is still not back. He looked so good in that debut. The stuff plus numbers were really impressive on that. That's something we can point to in a small sample. He just looked the part. I know it wasn't the best Red Sox lineup that he could have been facing, I think his walk rates in the minors were really low. And I think that could lead to him having so many times when these rookie pitchers come up, it's high K per nine, but there might be a lot of walks or a lot of traffic on the bases. I think Taj Bradley could have a decently low whip for a rookie pitcher. And I whip is something that one of the stats that I think sometimes we in the fantasy world just overlook and starting pitching is just rough right now. I'm willing to be wrong on Taj. I think even if they don't bring him up right away, it can't be that much longer because again, he just looks so good and Tampa, they have a track record now that I'm willing to trust. Yeah. You remember, this is a team that have lost two in a row 
Okay, <laughs> that is a. <laughs> they're going to they be. Need gonna, to exactly, they need point. him to save their season. They need to save their season. The two losses in a row that is unheard of in Tampa Bay, at least this year. Uh, all right, let's go. We talked a lot about, and we've been talking. You alluded to it. There's been a lot of middle infield, specifically shortstop injuries in the last week and a half, two weeks. One we did not talk about last week that happened earlier on this week. Corey Seager, shocker, goes on the IL once again in his career. Just a quick check in Texas, Brennan, who's who's getting the extra time in the middle infield for Texas with Seager being out? Yeah, so one of the things that I do at Underdog is run the Underdog MLB Twitter account, and we'll get the lineups out first thing once they're released. And so I'm seeing these lineups every day. We do projected lineups that we try to guess what the lineup will be so we can be quicker on getting them out. And so far, they've pretty much put Josh Smith directly into Seager's spot, not just playing shortstop, but he's been hitting second. And so we sandwiched between Marcus Semi and Nathaniel Lowe, Adelise Garcia. It's a decent spot in the batting order. I, without that, if he was just hitting ninth for them, even though he would be their shortstop moving forward, I wouldn't be as interested. But I think that sometimes we just got to look at what the teams are telling us. They're telling us Josh Smith is going to be their two-hitter for the time being, at least against right-handed pitching. He's the one that I would look towards. I don't think he's the biggest priority in the world, but it's definitely a fallback option because, again, it's not just Seager that people are losing who might need a replacement for that. There's going to be a lot of competition for shortstops on the waiver wire, so you at least want to get a minimum bid in for him as a backup option. And as of right now, at least on NFBC, Josh Smith, Josh H. Smith, make sure that you're finding the right one in your fab. Always a tricky situation, especially early in the season. Only third base and outfield eligible. So not shortstop eligible. He's not going to show up if you're missing a shortstop and you're searching for that position specifically. You could sneak him in. He is readily available everywhere. 0% in online championship, only 2% rostered in the main event. And so he is definitely out there. And with Outfield, shortstop, third base eligibility, that is tempting. It's tempting to just keep him on the roster. If he gets any kind of playing time before the foreseeable future, even without Seeker being out, if he can prove himself during this period, it would be nice to have that as a bench spot especially in your deeper formats. So keep an eye out for that for sure. All right, Edward Julian, and I'm going to mispronounce that. I'm sure I definitely looked it up ahead of time, but he is from Quebec. So I'm sure that's pr- I'm pronouncing it without some kind of French accent. I l- learned all about in like eighth grade and I have not <laughs> gone back to it since. But he made his debut, his long awaited debut for some with the twins a couple days ago. He's also been leading off, I believe, two out of the three days that he's been in the lineup. How interested should we be and how long do you think, how long do you expect him to be up with Minnesota during this time? So Minnesota's interesting right now. It's about to get pretty crowded. Jorge Polanco and Alex Kirilov are both also on their way back. Byron Buxton's been DHing. They have some multi-position guys like Nick Gordon who can bounce around between second base, left field. And going back to that idea of listening to what the teams are telling us. Edward Julian has played in all four games since he's been called up. He even hit against the lefty Nestor Cortez, who I was projecting him to sit against. The past two games against right-handers, he's let off, and he makes a lot of sense as a leadoff hitter with just outrageous OBPs from the minor leagues. He's the type of player who, he's like a finished product. This isn't a toolsy 21-year-old who we think could Mm -hmm. maybe have a really high ceiling but also has a really low floor. I think Julian is pretty established in who he is. 
If you do play in an OBP league, he definitely gets a bit of a bump in that format. With all these guys coming back, though, with the Twins being crowded, I'm a little nervous about it. I don't feel like he's guaranteed that much runway. I love that he's been leading off and that he's played every game. I almost wonder if Minnesota's saying, let's run him out there, and if he keeps his head above water, he'll stick around. And I think I looked at the box score earlier today, and he went 0 for 4, which pains me because I just want that. I want him to reward the team right away. So there's a lot going on with it. I think... We'll get into our fab priorities and everything. I think like rookies like Brett Beatty or Taj Bradley for me are definitely a tier above Julian. I don't want to get too carried away, but he's definitely ahead of Josh Smith, who we just talked about and everything. I think he's similar to Von Grissom, especially in OBP, but definitely, again, someone not to lose sight of. The leadoff thing is really interesting, hitting in front of Cray and Buxton. Yeah, obviously with that kind of an opportunity at the top of any lineup, never mind a lineup that has those guys batting at the 2-3-4 spot, is going to be interesting. It's like the Kyle Schwarber leadoff hitter type of situation. Not a guy that's a ton of speed. Julian has had he has got some stolen bases, not his calling card by any stretch of the imagination. So not something that I'm banking on for sure. But with that OBP, like you said, if you can get on base, that's the whole point, right? Get as many bats as possible. The Angels, they call, they made another call up of their own, and they have not been shy to do this in the past, obviously, calling up Reed Detmers really soon after he was drafted. They do it again, calling up their 2022 first-round pick with Zach Nito. He was called up on Saturday. He made his debut for the Halos, batting eighth, starting at shortstop, with Kyle Farmer being optioned to make room for him on the roster. Nito already on the 40-man roster, if I'm not mistaken, as well, so they didn't really have to make a move there. Are you expecting to see Neto stick as the everyday shortstop moving forward? Jeff Passan seems to think so. Are you on the same uh, in the same boat here, or do you expect this to be something one and done and just we'll see what he does for a couple of weeks and then send them back down? Yeah, without that Passan note, I wouldn't have felt as good about it, but it does seem like the Angels are buying into that idea that, oh, crap, we might only have Shohei Otani for five more months. We need to do everything possible and I wish for them that their bullpen was better but they're at least doing trying to see what they got at shortstop with Neto I think a lot of people were thinking that he had a chance to be up by the end of the year despite being drafted in July 2022 they obviously make the move really early I have no idea what to expect I feel like there's not that much we can take away from the minor league stats this year at double a the numbers are just outrageous but such a small sample I think that he is someone who Someone's probably going to bid on him, but again, just because he's potentially hotshot rookie and he's the new thing that everyone wants to see. Maybe there's something, a really big ceiling here. Not someone that I want to be spending too much on, get carried away with, but also someone who I at least want to get some in like lower priced bids in there because if you don't, we could be looking at two weeks from now. Oh man, look at what Zach Neto is doing with the Angels right now. Obviously, it's a great lineup to be a part of. Yeah, him is very different than Julian, who I feel like has a lot of time in the minors already. We really know what he's going to be. Wouldn't shock me at all if Neto is back down in the minors in a month, unfortunately. It's just, it's such an aggressive timeline. It's something like we, we haven't seen a lot of it before. Yeah, it's one of those. But on the, on the opposite side, with the Passan saying that, and then just the fact that the Angels have had a history of pushing these guys up. And yeah, obviously, we can all point to Joe Adele not panning out and obviously getting sent back down a couple of times, actually. But if you're going to be this aggressive with a first round pick, 
I would assume, and they're going to start his clock. Simple as that. I'm going to think you're going to get him as much run as humanly possible. He's going to, we always say, let's force the issue to get the call back up. I really think Neto's going to have to force the issue to push them back down at this point, based on just all the hints, all the Easter eggs that we're seeing in this situation. So I'm also not going to be aggressive on a guy like Neto from everything I understand. He doesn't, he's a jack of all trades type of player. He's not somebody that has one calling card in one particular area. Julian has that, he has some power, he has some confidence at the second base position. That's nice. You don't really, I really don't get the sense that Neto has that one thing. He's not a speed demon. He's not a power guy. He's not going to hurt you anywhere. And so, yeah, there's a lot of teams out there that are missing a shortstop right now. I get that. So if you are missing that middle infielder, sure, go after a guy like Neto. Because you know what? I think he's going to play. He's going to play for quite a bit. Even if he is stuck in that 7-8-9 hole, I would actually prefer him to be in the 9 hole than the 8 hole. That second leadoff spot, granted less plate appearances overall, but you still get the opportunity of getting knocked in a little bit more with the top of the order coming in afterwards. All right, last thing we're going to mention here, Kenta Maeda, he was skipped this week by the Twins after leaving his last start. A little bit fatigued, shaking his arm, nothing, nothing that requires a trip to the IL or anything like that, but Rocco Badelli wanted to give him a little bit of extra rest. Nothing that he's too concerned about. Louis Varlin did come in and pitch pretty well for him in his spot, but Maeda is expected to make his next start next week. How alarmed are you with this? This is just like the, I think, the second start of the season, and he's already getting fatigued. Yes, he's coming back from Tommy John. Yes, he's had some issues, but in general, are you so alarmed that you are possibly even moving on from Maeda in your, especially your shallower leagues, or is this a buy, you know, in a league where you can trade for players, is this a kind of a buy low situation if somebody might be a little scared? I think something that's become trendy within fantasy the past handful of years is the idea of using your bench to have a bunch of starting pitchers that you can mix and match. And I've definitely bought into that. I find we're going to talk about when we get to fab and everything, just sometimes the streaming pitchers available are not that appealing. And if you have someone like Maida still hanging around on your bench and you can pick your spots, then that's my preference. And that way you're not reliant. You don't feel, Oh, I have 10 pitchers on my roster. I got to start nine of them. You can have 13 on your roster and you only got to start nine of them. If one has an injury, one's got a bad matchup. So I think that, Within that framework of that's how I want to try to construct my teams and then try to stream one, maybe two hitter spots. I think that Maeda, if you drafted him, if you believed in him before this, I think he's someone definitely worth keeping around. And there was probably going to be some inning stuff, a skip start here or there at something coming back from the injuries. Glass half full, I think you say that's just one of these things right now. And until he shut down from throwing it, for an extended period or anything that you don't overreact about it. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, those worried that the fact that Louis Varlin was the one that came up to start is just because his starts all lined up in the minors in that way. Bailey Ober still very much will be back up at some point. I'm sure there will be another injury or somebody else will need to be skipped and it'll work out for Bailey Ober. So make sure you're watching him on your wires as well. All right, that's going to wrap up our news and notes section of this episode. As always, I'm sure we missed a whole bunch of stuff worth noting, but to keep up with all the news of the day, make sure you're listening to Nick Pollock's Plus Pitch Podcast with highlights every starting pitcher performance from the day prior and also the first pitch podcast 
Casey Bubba and Jake Crumpler. They break down the news, highlights, and observations from every day's worth of games, as well as looking ahead at every slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy league. In just a moment, we're going to talk to, I'm going to talk to Brendan a little bit about how we manage being on multiple formats and multiple sites, platforms throughout the year. I think this is gets to the point of the season where you start realizing, all right, maybe I bit off a little bit more than I could chew. So we're going to talk about how we manage that. But first, we got to take a quick break. All right, we are back. Of course, you're still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe this week, joined by Brandon Toom of Underdog Fantasy. Brandon, I alluded to it right before the break. We're going to talk. I want to pick your brain a little bit about how you manage your your fantasy slate, really, when it comes down to it. like I, I know <laughs> I told you this right before we started recording, and I probably said this a bunch of times already on air, but I'll say it again. Every year I say, all right, it's not so much that I need to cut down on how many leagues I'm in. I feel like I just need to cut down on how many platforms I play on. And so between my Aunt New League, it's the only one league that I have on Fangraphs or on the Aunt New side of things. Can't get rid of it. Just can't do it. I can't bring myself to get rid of it. I love the format so much. I know that I'm not going to add any more, but I love the league that I'm in. I can't get rid of it. Fantrax, I had three leagues on it i was able to cut down to one but that's almost worse <laughs> knowing that i have the one league on one format it's like on the one platform like i do have a two or three on yahoo still i was able to cut that down but of course the vast majority of my leagues my 15 other leagues are on the nfbc platform so those are the four that i'm playing on right now and it's uh, I, it has been helpful to cut down the number of leagues per platform but i would have loved to have cut down to two or three at most platforms. How's your how's your slate looking this year? So we were talking about this a little bit off air before we hopped on. And I feel every year there around March especially there's new leagues being formed, whether it's some buddies or some sort of industry league that you get asked to do. And I find myself saying no to so many more leagues nowadays just to keep that number of leagues within check. And so that I can give the time that's needed to play a fantasy league, especially if it's either daily lineups or weekly lineups, or if there's weekly fab, it really does take up a good amount of time. And yeah, when you add multiple platforms on top of that gets to be a lot. One take I had, I guess would be the term this off season is by 2023. There's so many different ways to play fantasy right now. There's the traditional five by five roto. There's head to head category leagues. There's dynasty leagues. There's other ways to interact with baseball, whether it's sports betting or player props or season-long sports betting, investing in baseball cards, playing best ball formats. So I found myself, instead of just, oh, I'm going to play in 10 Roto Leagues with Fab every Sunday, and that's going to be my baseball consumption for the season, I found myself getting more and more into some best ball leagues, a little bit biased there with the underdog (laughs) connection, but I also find myself getting more into sports betting and some season long props, looking at some daily higher lowers. I found myself getting more into baseball cards again the past few years. And let's say there's a hotshot prospect. I didn't roster in any dynasty leagues. I would buy their card as a way to get some shares of that player. That's a little bit like of a broader sense of just how many ways there are to any, how many ways there are to interact with baseball these days but yeah in terms of specifically how to balance time on different platforms i think that just having everything bookmarked right away and keeping those 
tabs open and something I do is not wait until Saturday or Sunday night to set <laughs> my fab to start putting guys in Wednesday, Thursday, as I have that idea. And that way it cuts down a little bit of time, at least on the weekend. I say that all the time. And there are plenty of weeks where I do it. I'll sneak in on Tuesday or Wednesday. I'll throw a bunch of people either on my bid list or at least update my watch list and stuff like that. But there's been plenty of weeks where I'm updating my fab bids right after I'm done recording the show. <laughs> so I was like, at least I'm doing it Saturday night and not Sunday morning, I guess, to an extent. Yeah, and I was toiling with the idea of every platform. People play on a whole bunch of different platforms. Obviously, there's CBS, there's ESPN. They've been around for a long time. Yahoo, and then new getting more popular recently. Obviously, Underdog joining the fray with the other best balls and whatnot, and fan tracks having... their extended rosters, if you will, they all have their calling card for what, you know, they do. And I think that's really, I think that's actually important to think about is if you're able to consolidate the type of leagues that you play on certain form on certain formats, it does make the organization a little bit easier. Like I, both my leagues in Yahoo are head to head and that's what a lot of people play Yahoo on. I get that. Obviously, NFBC is its own thing. It, every, it's except unless you're doing the best ball or cut line, those are obviously mm-hmm. going to be points. But for the pretty much everything else, it's five by five roto, so you know exactly when Fab runs, you know exactly what's going on, and if you're able to organize your types of leagues per platform, that's going to help you a whole lot as well. Obviously, Anu is pretty similar, but there are like four different types of ways you can play Anu as well, which scares the crap out of me just because <laughs> I have enough going on. Another reason I'm probably not going to add another odd new league, especially if it's going to be even slightly more different than the one I'm doing already. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just really important. I think we get to the point that we get to week three, week four, and you start realizing, all right, I'm already have an idea of which leagues are going to unfortunately go to the wayside. Like these are the leagues. I just know I'm not going to spend this happened to me last year a whole lot. And I apologize to any of my league mates that might be listening from last year. There were definitely some leagues. I'm like, I knew week five at the latest. Sorry, I am not going to be present for this league. And now I don't play in that league anymore. Because like you said, I want to make sure that I'm able to give my all not only to win the league, but also just to make the league a good league. I wouldn't want people playing in it thinking, first of all, Oh, all right. I got to push over now because Adam's not paying attention after week five. Granted, in my money leagues, I don't mind if anybody wants to do that. If you want to do that, go ahead. Just do that. I will not shame you for that for sure. But yeah, I think it's just really important to know exactly how you are balancing yourself and be honest with yourself and and organize that from the get-go. It's a little late to say that now. Probably should have given that advice a little bit earlier before draft season started, but keep that in mind as you're going. I'm sure it'll be a topic that we bring up later. I do love your point though. Like There are so many other ways to be involved in baseball besides playing in the specific leagues, year-long leagues that you're doing. It is an amazing time that I guess we're living in. I haven't thought about going back to collecting baseball cards since I was like 18 years old. But that was for me, baseball card collecting was more of like a father son bonding thing. And I've got my 3000 cards sitting up in, in, in the sleeves. They're well taken care of. They're protected and I adore them. But the fact that I seeing, I'm seeing more and more people say exactly what you said and they're getting back into it 
just for that sake, just to get yourself more into the game, like surround yourself with that. So that's a fun kind of a shout out. And yeah, I've lived in Indiana. So the sports betting aspect of the game has been part of my life for since the beginning. I know there's a lot more states out there that are expanding on that. All my all my friends back in Massachusetts just got it recently. So of course they're doing the whole, all right, I'm going to match my match my first deposit, all that fun stuff now that they can do it. And it's, it's interesting to hear from firsthand people who can jump into it on a regular basis. Yeah, I think there was just as like some examples, if I if you really love Spencer Strider this year in your big league, for whatever reason, he someone jumped you and took him before you, you had the opportunity to, but you still think that he was going to have a nuts year. Like you can bet him for NL Cy. And I just think that's another way to get some skin in the game, some a little bit of ownership over your own player takes. And I know I do that with X for cards all the time. I just invest a little bit in a Miguel Blyce, his 2021 <laughs> card, a little autograph card of his and now i'm a huge miguel blyce fan because i want him to do well i don't even want to sell the card i just want to i just want it to do well to be part of my collection and everything yeah i think that in terms of practical actual tips of playing on all the platforms something else i do instead what drives me nuts with fab and this could get us into a bit of the conversation of what's going on this weekend for pickups, what drives me nuts is sometimes when you get to that fourth player, you have to have all the contingencies. So it's okay. If I don't get these three and it just ends up being so many clicks, I will honestly sometimes just drop guys from my roster, at least a couple, because then when you go to add a player, it's just, you don't have to click four names of who you want to drop. And I know some sites do it easier than others. I know, for example, NFBC, you can copy the transaction and that makes it a little easier. I know some others that don't do that. So again, it depends on like the format and everything, but I know a lot of people are spending a lot of time on fab Sunday night. And if you are playing in one of these higher stakes leagues, you can't just treat that as you can't go into that unprepared because there's so many, in addition to how many ways there are to play fantasy, there's so many smart people playing <laughs> fantasy now that it can be intimidating at times. And yeah, that's just not something you want to go into unprepared, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I do that in fab all the time, even on the NFPC platform, I'll typically drop my guys first and then I will add my players. It does make it a little bit like, yeah, you want everybody, right? You want all the good players on your team. But at the same time, you got to pick up the players that are right for your team. And if you don't have any guys that you just absolutely can't see yourself dropping, you know what? You can skip a week. It's not mm-hmm. the end of the world if you feel comfortable and confident with the players that you got on your roster. With that being said, let's get into some, some actual fab recommendations as we head forth into i think what is week four we'll call this week four why not we're gonna go category by category like we tend to do uh, and but before we get into all that we do have to take another quick break all right we're back and we're gonna get right into it i have brendan tuma here of underdog fantasy and a bunch of other stuff and before we get into the recommendations brendan i want to give you the opportunity to let everybody else know where they can find you any other additional work that you got going on here and where they should be looking out for. Yeah, so I've tried to cut this down to make it as simple as possible because I know so many people nowadays have, you know, Substacks and Patreons and I'm the same way. So I work for Underdog and anything best ball related or Underdog game related is on Underdog Network. 
my just articles that I like writing and have creative ideas for topics. I have a Substack, brandontuma.substack.com. And then just a bunch of bonus stuff is on Patreon. It's too much Tuma, patreon.com slash too much Tuma. I do a lot over there. I spend 75% of each day either on TweetDeck or watching baseball or reading content or listening to podcasts. And there's so much out there these days. I try to just be as engaged and involved in the news cycle and the analysis part of baseball as possible. And just love interacting with other people about it. I just, I think that's something that's for all the player takes that get thrown out on Twitter and disagreements on that front. I think there's just, what's the term? There's so much shared enthusiasm for <laughs> baseball and analyzing it. And I love being a part of that. Yeah. I'm on Twitter at too much Tuma. I really do love interacting with anyone and everyone. I think that is for so many people, the driving force behind doing what it is that we do. Please always feel free to reach out. Yeah. And I think a good chunk of our listeners who are in, who have a plus or PL pro who are in the pitcher list discord are very well aware, at least of a portion of your work as we have the underdog Twitter account being pushed into one of the channels on a regular basis there, specifically the lineups and obviously anything else you uh, gets tossed in there, specific news items, which is nice because for me, it's uh, some little insight into the PL discord. For me, it's fun to watch to see who gets the, we have another channel in there that's just, it's just called MLB tweet news. And it's, if you see somebody post something on Twitter, you copy that, put it in the channel. And then everybody sees that it's like a mini feed, if you will, of just major league baseball news stuff. I always like mm-hmm. to see who's going to, who's going to get it first. I, I, are you going to get it first? Because we, we get that tweet automatically mm-hmm. pushed in or is, are one of the other members of the discord going to get it first? And it, it's a nice, it's a nice little battle in my head. This is my own head cannon that's happening. It's not an actual battle. <laughs> no, hundred percent. I think the underdog MLB page, we've tried to make it more, add more to it this season, whether it's like advanced stats or just league-wide trends or anything like that. So if there's other stuff that people would like to be seeing, either news-wise or analysis-wise, we're always all years on that front. I think lineups, I take a lot of pride in how quickly we get lineups out. I think we're universally pretty first there, but I love seeing the lineups come in every day. And I know that, especially for anyone playing like DFS or Battle Royale on Underdog, for instance, those are super helpful. And that's where you can see everything we were just talking about. And again, this will lead us into this fab conversation, but that's where you see, oh my God, Edward. Julian is leading off again for the twins today. It's it shows a sign of faith that they have in him. There you go. Exactly. Or like you mentioned earlier, Josh Smith is not only playing mm-hmm. for Seager, but he's playing in his spot in the lineup as well. Checking those lineup cards is clutch as Mike Curlin will always admit. I'm sure just shout out to Mike. All right, let's get into the category recommendations here. I'm going to let you lead us off here. Of course, we're going to go with our hitting categories. We start in the power categories, home runs, RBIs. You got your eye on anybody out there that might be available that could hit a couple home runs for us or knock a couple runners in on base? Yeah, again, something else that we were talking about a little bit offline. I just want to apologize if I we recommend someone. Someone says that person's unavailable in my league. Like Totally good. Like Everyone plays different formats, 12 teams, 15, 10, different categories, different number of positions. So we tried to zero in on some, <laughs> obviously the rookies are going to be pretty universal, universally available, but for power, Brent Rooker of the Oakland A's. And I know some leagues again, where he's already taken, but I also know some where he's probably going to be a pretty popular 
waiver ad this week. I hate the ballpark. Obviously, there's not a lot of help around him in that lineup for counting stats. It's so early in the season. I'm really just looking at that barrel rate. Stabilizes around 50 batted ball events. Normally, he's not even that close to it, but it's just such an outrageous barrel rate early on. I'm more willing to believe in mid-career breakouts nowadays. The A's aren't the exact organization I think of for having so much success in player development. If this guy was on the Dodgers right now, I think people would be going even farther with him just because it seems like they have an ability to find this guy every year. But yeah, I think it's you really just barrel rate is something that I'm looking at this early in the season. Everything else for him checks out. The strikeout rate's not absurd. And I think he could be a pretty good source of power here moving forward. Yeah, I was really surprised. I threw my names on this sheet first in each category, and then you threw yours in after the fact. I think we both made some adjustments. But the fact that we're both going to the Oakland A's here for the power category was a little bit of a shock for me. But I'm going going to go ahead and give a shout out to Ryan Noda, first baseman here. He was always known to be the guy that, first of all, he's a rule five pick. We've talked about him a couple times in the show just because you knew he was going to get some kind of playing time. And we're seeing him get regular playing time now. We're also seeing him get bumped up to the top third of the order, batting second in his last four matches, last five out of, sorry, five out of the last six games he's been batting second. You talked about Rooker not having an obscene K rate. Noda does not fit that category. <laughs> so he, his strikeouts were always going to be a concern and they have come to come to fruition coming along with a sub 200 batting average early in this early going in the season. A sub 200 batting average is as as concerning as a, po- a 450 batting average. It's like these are the th- these things are going to work themselves out unless your name is Joey Gallo and it's not something I'm too concerned about especially the fact that he's walk he averages pretty much a walk if not more a game and he, that's why he's being put into that two hole. He's if nothing else he's been given as many he'll be given as many opportunities as possible to knock one out against the Cubs and against the, the Rangers coming up this coming up this week as well. Only plays half the games in Oakland next week. Same thing with Rooker. So it's nice to see him get out of Oakland for a little bit as he travels to Texas. Who's to say if they have the roof open or closed? We'll see how that works out when we get later on. But Noda's got some pop. He's same situation. Not a lot of not a lot of batted ball events, but of the batted ball events he's had, he's already had he already has a pretty decent barrel rate of his own. Max EV so far of 106 plus. So this is a guy who obviously has the thump in his bat and he can knock one out if given the opportunity. I like both these calls. I don't like that they're both on the A's, <laughs> but I do what they've been able to do and what I think they could do moving forward. All right, let's go into the speed category here. I'm going to lead us off here just because I I wasn't I was a little concerned about my pick at first because the first note I saw come through the wire was that Michael Harris was going to come back on Monday when he was first eligible. And then two minutes later, a new note came back, said, no, he's not ready. He's not even ready to go for BP yet. So I'm looking at Sam Hilliard, who is, I was surprised to see how readily available he was for my, unless I'm doing control F wrong, not rostered in a main event 
and only 1% rostered in the OCs, especially since the fact that he was the obvious fill-in, I think, when Harris went on the IL originally. thought he would have got picked up a little bit last week, but still readily available. He's playing every day in center field while Harris is out. Worst case scenario now, Harris maybe comes back later on next week. You still get him for the first half of next week before lineups switch over on Friday. He's 92nd percentile in sprint speed going so far this season this guy who we've always known he's had a power speed combo when not giving him that kind of an opportunity he's batting ninth that like i alluded to earlier that second leadoff spot plenty of opportunities for scoring runs with the top of that atlanta lineup able to knock him in he's already got two stolen bases in limited time so far this year in in that limited time he does have a 28 plus percent spot that stolen bases opportunity taken. So of the times he's had an opportunity to steal that being sitting on first base with second base open, he's taken over 28% of those chances. MLB average so far this year is just over 9%. So he is being extremely aggressive, even in this day and age with the rule changes and stuff like that. He's got the speed to back it up as well. On top of that, Milwaukee in Atlanta, sorry, Atlanta is facing off against a couple of teams that are one of the more they're facing off against opponents that have allowed a lot of base runners to advance, even if they haven't been as successful. This is something that runners are seeing that we are seeing more opportunities from their pitchers. We're seeing more opportunities from their catchers. They're letting us take that chance. So this is something that I look at on a regular basis when I'm looking at guys that might steal more often, but at the very least Hillier's playing every day. He's got a couple of thumpers in in the top of the Atlanta lineup. So as long as he gets on base, he could score a lot of runs and he's nobody seems to want him. So (laughs) he'll be, and if nothing else, he should at least be that outfield contingency list. If you're looking for filling that scenario. I think that your answers are going to be pretty, a lot more practical for a lot of people. I'm admittedly still trying to navigate the new rules and exactly what we're seeing with stolen bases, because obviously they're up. Obviously the success rate is up there. The first few days, the success rate was out of control. It was like Mm -hmm. 90% and that's since dropped a little. And I'm still trying to get a sense for the type of player who's going to steal more bases. Does this mean Jorge Mateo is going to steal 60 bases? Does this mean... Some slower guys, Vlad Guerrero, all, all of a sudden going to get up to 15 bases, for instance. Yang Gomes? Yeah, exactly. Yang <laughs> Gomes stole a base yesterday. <laughs> In general, I am against the idea of picking up like a streamer for stolen bases. That's just like a personal philosophy of mine. I try to go with the strategy of throughout your draft, get a handful of steals here and there sort of thing. But that was really hard to know what to do this year just with the rule changes and everything. These guys might not be as available in every league, but I do think that they serve multi-purposes where, again, for me, the Astoria Ruizes of the world is not who I prefer to roster. I want my speed sources to be able to do a couple other things. G. Juan Bay, apologies for the mispronunciation, I think is someone who's already got a little bit of steam. He might already be rostered. He's got the core series coming up this week. Since O'Neill Cruz went down, he's let off against every right-hander that they face. The Pirates got a little bit of a punch this year, it seems. I know they're not going to have Cruz for a while now. but So he's someone who's multi-position eligible, going to play a lot more. I think now post-Cruz, it just moves Rodolfo Castro over to shortstop a bit. It 
there's one less big piece there who's going to command everyday playing time. On top of that, Chaz McCormick is, again, leading off for the Astros now. A little bit of power, a little bit of speed. Bryson Stott is also leading off for the Phillies. And he just has such a lack of punch. Is no one is afraid of him. He doesn't walk at all because people just pound him in the strike zone. But again, <laughs> he's leading off in front of... Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, the Phillies are struggling. They might need to run a little more. In general, I'm not a fan of picking these guys up just for speed sort of thing. But I again, I understand that people are already nervous looking at how out of control some of the stolen base numbers can get. And then we'll see what Zach Neto has for speed. I think I'd rather bet on someone like him and just see if the whole package comes together rather than going for one of the the rabbits or the bunny sources that they've been referred to. Yeah, I will say I, I've spent a lot of time personally on looking at matchups and seeing how runners facing off against specifically against pitchers. And I think pitchers have a little bit more of an influence on whether or not a guy runs than a catcher does, per se. It, it came from like we talked about sports betting last earlier in the show. The stolen base props that we could see at the beginning of last year were insane. Like I always say, I hit on Tim Anderson at plus a thousand early on in the season. I'm like, why is he at plus a thousand? I understand stolen bases are hard to predict, but come on. And so every from there, I want I want to see like, all right, here, let's see where we can do. And it's been insanely difficult <laughs> this year to predict at least the ones that have been. Uh, the ones you think are a lock based on who who's on the mound, who's behind the plate, and then what kind of opportunity they're going to get. And to your point, even though there's so many guys running, it has been really difficult to predict it on a game-to-game basis. I think in a series or in a week-to-week, it's been a little bit more consistent. But in general, a game-to-game is still very difficult to do. And I am a proponent of streaming stolen bases on a weekly basis. Like it's mm-hmm. harder to do on a daily basis unless you're like really desperate to do it on like a Sunday and a head-to-head matchup and you're like, I just need that stolen base. Do your best, do your best guess there. But on a week to throughout the course of a week, I would say if you can if you can stream a guy that gets you one or two stolen bases in that week. That's the equivalent of drafting a guy who's going to get you 20, 22, or even 44 stolen bases throughout the course of the season. And if you can do that with some kind of regularity, with some kind of consistency, it doesn't have to be 100%, but something close. Again, that's like drafting a guy in the 20th round of your draft who's going to get you 20 plus stolen bases, which is not easy to do. So something to keep an eye on. Bay is 59% rostered in the online championship. So still readily available in those 12 teamers. I mean, he's definitely somebody that I'll be looking at as well. As we get into our next section, we talked about, you alluded to it, and we'll talk about Pittsburgh's schedule being a spotlight here. But we're going to get into our opportunity section. Guys that might have a good matchup coming up, might have a good schedule coming up, might have walked into some unexpected playing time, et cetera, et cetera. But before we get into the recommendations, just a couple of schedule notes across the league that you should be keeping an eye on and keeping in your back pocket as you're making these decisions. There are 12 more teams that have a full seven-game work week this week. Boston, the Angels, the Mets, Philadelphia, the Cubs, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and the entire NL West, including Arizona, Colorado, the Dodgers, San Diego, and Arizona. They all play seven games. There are no doubleheaders scheduled as of right now. We'll see if any rainouts happen, stuff like that, that postpone it. But as of right now, no doubleheaders. And there are two teams 
that have our first five-game work week of the season. Baltimore and Washington, they actually played each other on Tuesday, Wednesday, but they each have Monday and Thursday to rest up before and after that series. Every other team plays six. They're either off Monday or Thursday. Always focus on Cincinnati and Colorado. Cincinnati, they host Pittsburgh for four to end the week after traveling to Tampa Bay for three to start it off. So we got some games in the Great American Small Park to keep to keep in mind. And then Colorado, they start off their week at home with three versus the Pittsburgh Pirates. They head out east for four games in Philadelphia. That kind of transitions us into our recommendations, and I'm going to spit it out. I'm looking at any decent player available from Pittsburgh as you have hitters that are going to be playing their entire week, either in Cincinnati, which played more favorably for home runs last year than Colorado did. And then Colorado, which everybody knows everything there is to know about hitting in Colorado. So I'm looking at, we talk about him enough and I'm not going to get into details, but Carlos Santana, if he's available in your deeper leagues and then, Gene Wambe was my recommendation as well in the shallower leagues for all the reasons that you talked about. And then some, his playing time is there. So again, 59% rostered in online championships, 100% in the main event. So he's not going to be available in those 15 teamers of deeper leagues, but I guarantee you he's available. He's readily available in your Yahoo's, in your CBS's, where he does have more eligibility, as you mentioned, second base and outfield eligibility, which is definitely a plus here you've got another pirate on your list so we'll go ahead and throw him out there as well i think it's just an obvious thing you got to be looking at it we'll say that most of the good players from pittsburgh are the ryan reynolds so you're not going to find them stuff like that and obviously oh no cruz is either not available or you don't want to pick him up anyway for obvious reasons who else is out there that you think that we could tack on yeah i think especially this early season, you just look at any projection system for the upcoming week or any week really. And it's always going to be some of those cores games. And I'm personally just willing to, I've tried to analyze everything myself, look at every single schedule for every team and every player. And I feel like I just end up banging my head against the wall. And at this point I just trust him. Usually the core stuff, like you said, Cincinnati as well nowadays, and just like leave it at that. And I think it's not going to work every week, but I really do love having one, maybe two hitter spots that you're just cycling through depending on matchups. Cause there are going to be guys like Carlos Santana pretty readily available most weeks. I think one note on him, G man Choi went on the IL today and such a minor move, but that does just help his playing time at least a little bit moving forward. They'll be less inclined to give him a day off coming up. Andrew McCutcheon, he's a, better player I think than Carlos Santana so he very well could be rostered but again I'm doing my fab tonight I play in a 12 team roto league with five outfielders and middle infield corner and for all this stuff he's available gonna try to get him in that and then I think again this is league dependent format dependent it's, it's still early in the season and some of these rookies maybe Edward Julian's just gonna be an every week starter moving forward I think I'm more willing to Try to get the player who could be a rest of season guy for me this early in the season, whether that's Von Grissom or Edward Julian or Zach Neto or someone who maybe more has so that potential than you're just streaming for literally this week and then you're going to move on from them. That's just something to keep in mind again early in the year. Typically more of advice for shallower leagues, but again, just another perspective to look at it. 
and McCutcheon 58% in the online championship. So just as readily available there in those 12 teamers on that platform as well. So we always say it every week and I'm going to continue to say it every week. It doesn't hurt to check. Like you never know. You could be 99% rostered. You could be that 1% league that that he's still available. So make sure that uh, you're checking that. And as always, check your drop lists from the week before because you never know when somebody was forced to make a decision they didn't want to make and hopefully hoping that they kind of snuck through, they can get them back the next week or the week after. There's always somebody fun that was dropped for no parent, no real reason. All right, let's move on to our pitchers and get through this section. Brandon, we have our wins and Ks for this coming week. This is our counting stats in the pitching category. Who do you think could hopefully squeak out a win or two and or knock out a couple of Ks early in the season for you? Yeah, so I don't know if this is going to be as much of a K play as it is a win play, but I do Kyle Gibson. I There was this piece that came on out on The Athletic for the Orioles home opener by Dan Connolly just about the wall change and how much of an impact it had on Baltimore starting pitchers. I thought it was really interesting. It wasn't just the dimensions. There was multiple accounts of pitchers feeling that they could attack the strike zone more now that one mistake might not lead into a homer and everything. And I think that a lot of people understand that Baltimore is different than it used to be, but I don't know if we've caught all the way up into how advantageous that ballpark is for streaming pitching now. And anyways, Kyle Gibson gets the Tigers. Tigers are really just not showing any punch right now. I think it could be six innings, could be seven innings we get from Kyle Gibson here. Innings are so hard to find sometimes for streamers that I'm willing to give away a few strikeouts on that front if it means that I got a good chance at the win. Baltimore's got a at least a good back end of the bullpen. And I got a good chance at some innings for those ratios as well. Yeah, like I'm going to say the same thing about my recommendation here as far as this is more on the wins than it is the case, though. Bailey Falter does have two starts. So even if he does strike out three in each of them, that's still six more strikeouts than I would have had otherwise. Hopefully he can knock out a little bit more as he gets Colorado on the road, which that sweet rocky road is something we're always uh, we're always targeting as the season progresses. Those first couple series in the season, you got to remember, they weren't in Colorado first, so they weren't ex- they weren't used to the thin air, seeing the ball movement differently. But they've had a chance to be in Colorado for a couple series now, so having them be on the road is always nice. And then his second matchup against the White Sox doesn't exactly scare me, especially with all the injuries that they're dealing with. Yes, Eloy is back. I like the quote here earlier I saw today that Eloy is not ready for the outfield yet, as opposed to ever. But that's, that was nice wordplay or word usage in that tweet that I saw. So Bailey Falter be somebody I look at. I just feel like he's a little bit, he's just a safe play. He can knock out two wins on the week with those two starts as long as those those starts stay lined up. And as the other thing, he's scheduled to start on Tuesday, which means he's got to start on Sunday to get that second lineup. I don't mind that per se. that if he does get bumped for whatever reason, now he's all but guaranteed a two-start week the following week. So this is a guy that there's not that as much risk about losing the volume based on the based on his schedule. I think it's a little bit of a safer play. It's not that much upside as far as the K's go. But again, like I said, if he gets both starts, he 
he could knock out double digits strikeouts on the week. So that's always going to be a plus. All right, let's talk about our ratios then. If you are trying to chip away at ERA or whip, at least start your season off on the right foot in those ratio categories. I'm going to I'm going to stick here in Philadelphia and go with Matt Strom. I almost swapped these guys. I almost swapped my recommendations for Matt Strom. Obviously more of a K guy, but with the two starter, Bailey Falter fit better into the wins in case there. But Matt Strom, 13% rostered in the OCs. He's also scheduled to host Colorado. But what I like about it the most is he's scheduled to start off on Thursday, which is Colorado's first game out of Colorado. So this is me echoing my inner Kevin Hastings. He'll always, it'll always be something that he recommends on this. So it's always something to look at when Colorado spends some time at home, whether it's one series, two series, or maybe even three series in a back to back. The first game that they play outside of Colorado is something you want to be focusing on because they are going to be, it's going to take a little bit of an adjustment period, especially if they don't even have the off day in between games. So look at that situation with Matt Strom. He's you worry about a guy like Strom who, you know, it's coming in from a bullpen role and then getting stretched out into a starter role. He's been throwing plenty of pitches to get through the fifth, sixth inning. He doesn't he's gotten to that point now where I'm not worried about how many pitches he's going to be throwing to get to that point where you could win. But that's not really what I'm recommending anyway. We're talking about ratios. He's been pitching really well and I can see him doing continuing to do so obviously against Colorado at home at Philadelphia. So for me, this is my, I took it in a little bit of a different direction. This is my favorite answer of everything that we've talked about. I think starting pitchers are getting smacked in general. I was looking at some stats the other day, just starting pitchers, just March and April from the past few years. And everything is just worse right now. And I think a lot of people feel that whether it's aces getting hit around or some streaming options getting hit around. I just don't want to, deal with it. And that's why I gave that advice about having your bench be streamers so you don't have to resort to the waiver wire. Again, it's late for that because everyone's already drafted and everything. But on, so I'm looking at Zig a little bit when everyone's looking at Zag and I'm looking at Jose Alvarado. I don't think people have caught on to how good that this guy has been lately. He had a moment with the Rays where everyone was like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. But then he fell off a bit. Since last August 16th, he's thrown 24 innings. He has 48 strikeouts during that time, a 0.75 ERA, a 0.1 whip. And I'm pulling up his K minus BB. It's 53.6%, not his strikeout rate, his K minus BB rate. It is just so insane. If he has not so far factored into the mix for saves for the Phillies, the Phillies have been struggling in general. They're not going to save him for the ninth inning they've shown, but I think he will get some saves here and there. I think if he's pitching these high leverage roles, he could also get some wins. I think we see a type of guy like this every year, whether it's a Chad Green or a Michael King. And Alvarado doesn't go multi-inning, so I don't think the innings are going to be that high. But with this K rate, if he pitches three innings a week and gets you seven to eight strikeouts and doesn't give up a run, I would rather that in again it's format dependent and all that stuff but i just think that he is someone who the ratios are so outrageous i think it's worth considering that over a pitcher who might give me a two whip for the week and i just just that's just unacceptable and i think there's still more upside to be had with alvarado in terms of wins and saves 
Yeah. This category is usually filled with relievers in the same ilk as Alvarado, but what he has done to start the season, especially in the strikeout rate department, has been insane. Obviously, he had that blow up recently, but that's like the only blemish on what has been a beautiful start to a season any pitcher could have asked for. It's something that I do like to look for in this category that's harder to do now, obviously, as we're talking Saturday, Sunday hasn't happened yet, is taking a look at those high-end relievers who did not pitch over the weekend. So by the time Fab runs around, Sunday games are over, you have a general idea of usage. And if I can target a reliever who I feel strongly about as far as their ratios will go, I don't necessarily need them to be high end or end of game guys. They don't need to be guys that are going to get saves. But if I know that they haven't pitched in a couple of days, they're almost guaranteed to pitch on Monday, which lines them up to pitch two, three, possibly four days throughout the course of the week and lock up anywhere between four and six innings. Yeah, to your point, that's going to be better than a streaming pitcher in most scenarios. And so that's be something that just to keep an eye out for, like I said, it's harder to recommend that as we're recording on Saturday night, but something to look at on Sunday evening when you're finalizing those, those bids and those waterfall bids. Let's talk about saves then. Our last pitching category here, it is saves. The only category we're talking about is the one that is saves as opposed to everybody else. Every other section, we had two things in mind. We're only thinking about one thing. Who is going to steal some saves for you, if not this week, maybe in the near future? I think this is another player who I just don't think everyone's caught on to what's happening. Araldus Chapman is throwing harder than he has the last time he threw this hard was 2017 it's not just oh his 2022 is bad and now there's been a bit of a dead cat bounce and he's throwing harder he's throwing as hard as he has since 2017 i don't know how he did it i don't know i don't know if i want to know i don't know (laughs) i haven't read the story yet that explains every now and then a player will make a skill change and you note it, and then you read a story, and it's, okay, this is why the skill change happened. Now Mm -hmm. I'm all in on believing it. I haven't read the right piece or seen the right now for what Chapman did, but the velocity is just out of control. The commands there, his K to walk is really good. I love K to walk for relievers. I just don't want my relievers putting unnecessary traffic on the bases. I don't necessarily expect Chapman's command to stick around, all season long. And I know Scott Barlow's there, but if this is the version of Chapman that we're going to be getting the next couple months, that is just such a better pitcher than Scott Barlow. I think the Royals, once their season starts going down the drain, are going to be incentivized to use Chapman in the closer role so that they can possibly trade him. And maybe that presents some risk down the line if he ends up in a setup role somewhere else, but maybe someone trades for him as the closer. And uh, I just think we shouldn't be worrying about July right now. <laughs> Aurelis Chapman, he looks like all the way back. And I had was so out on him entering the year. I was, he, I thought he was just done the way it ended in New York, but I'm really excited about him right now. You had all those rumors in the preseason that he turned down a more lucrative offer, I think from the Padres or somebody else that because He was told, supposedly, that he would get an opportunity to end games in Kansas City. And so this would not be a surprise, a shock at all to see him move into that role. It's, again, pending that he continues the performance that he's had in the last couple of games. And 
of course, this is Kansas City. They haven't exactly had the best start of the season. We don't expect them to get it together that much as we move on. And so we always say bad teams can still produce saves as long as they've got one guy doing it. And Kansas City seems to be that kind of a team. Right now, obviously, it is still Barlow has not looked that stupendous himself. Carlos Hernandez has. So there is some, I think Dylan Coleman was optioned down as well. So there has been some fluctuation in the bullpen in Kansas City. It makes all the sense in the world that Chapman would be the next one up because not only maybe was he told he would get the opportunity, but you have to assume Kansas City is looking to trade him. And the best way to do that, obviously, is to put him in the spotlight and give him an opportunity to bring those stats up so they can shop that around. Look, this guy's been saving games. He's been in the high leverage, yada, yada, yada. So I would expect him to be moving into that role sooner rather than later, pending his performance continues to do what it's been doing. The guy I'm looking at, it, unfortunately, is because of another injury is the Matt Brash. And even if he doesn't move into, doesn't get that vulture save from Paul Seawald in Seattle, this is a guy who obviously has found his way of life in the bullpen at toward the end of games in the seventh inning, in the eighth inning now, racking up two, three strikeouts per outing. And so even if he's not vulturing a save because Seawald has pitched the last two days or something like that, which I totally expect what's gonna what's happening and what I see continuing to happen. Paul Seawald is the dude. That's it. No other questions. But if you have to pick a backup. Brash is that guy, and he's not going to hurt you anywhere else, it seems, both in the ratios and he's going to downright help you in strikeouts. If you can walk into a save here or there, great, but it's somebody I think is will is going to help you in more cases than not. Matt Brash is somebody I'm looking at in this situation. If I am if I need to fill a pitcher slot and I don't, I don't want anybody to hurt me, they could possibly grab a save here or there. All right, I'm going to let you finish this off in the last category here. It is my favorite category, but I don't have anybody. <laughs> I might have said I like might be looking at somebody like Joey Ortiz. We talked about off air beforehand just because he was pulled from his AAA start because of Ramon Urias' concussion protocols. Joey Ortiz, shortstop prospect for the Baltimore Orioles, will not be available to be picked up in the NFBC since he hasn't made his debut on by Saturday, the day before Fab, but at the same time, so somebody if he is available out there, maybe keep a look at. Maybe you can stash him now. He could be in the same kind of realm as a Zach Neto, somebody who's gonna if he's gonna get called up to Baltimore, he's probably gonna play every day. He's probably not gonna hurt you anywhere. I know I have him on a one or two draft and holds for that particular reason. Somebody to look at, sure, but you've got a much more interesting choice here. So I'm gonna let you take the most of the time here. So this is, again, we say with everything, it's format dependent. And for me, the story of Fab this week is Taj Bradley. He's the one who I think could just be a season-long staple the rest of the year. And it pains me. I always come back to this. And I don't think there was any way to see this time last week that Taj Bradley was going to get called up last week and look that good to me to me that was hard to see coming but I do want to be thinking about some of these especially rookies who sometimes go for 10 to 20 percent of fab can I be a week or two ahead of them and it's risky because if you go for it and they don't get called up for over a month you're kind of wasting a bench spot but for me I'm looking at Matthew Libertor who I know for me especially this offseason I was oh he's gross he had his trial in the majors there wasn't strikeout stuff he was struggling with walks the Cardinals worked with him and his velocity's up I've been looking at the AAA stat cast 
data every day. They have it on baseball savant and Libertor's like first start of the season. All, he had 17 whiffs in a start. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. The velo's up. Cool. He's kept it going. And we're looking in small samples at some underlying numbers. These are his swinging strike rates from the past three years at AAA. 2021, 10.6. 2022, 11.1. This season, it's 15.7. I do think that additional velocity is helping him. The Cardinals rotation, they don't have an injury right now. Besides Adam Wainwright, who's going to come back at some point. But they just they haven't been good. They've been bad. I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but I know they're bottom ten in starting pitcher ERA for the season. So I think that they're a team who's off to a slow start. The Brewers are surging. They might need to make a move here soon. If you have a bench spot, I think Libertor could be one of these guys. When he does get the call up, if that first start goes really well, everyone's talking about the new Velo. He could go for a decent amount. And I think that this weekend, with all eyes on Taj Bradley, you could sneak Libertor through for zero or $1. Yeah, and there's definitely a chance that Libertor was drafted. And again, I'm specifically talking about NFBC where the rules are you can't pick up a guy unless he has already made his debut this year. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't be available if he wasn't drafted since he started in the minors, even though he's made his MLB debut in the past. He still won't be available to be picked up unless he was drafted in your league. So check, make sure he's, if he's out there, more than likely he was dropped week one fab, especially if you did one of our listener leagues where we were drafting fab leagues back in November, like the silly people that we are, you make some decisions and you've got to drop some guys that are pretty obvious drops. I know I, I did a couple of those myself, but I like the call out there if he's available um, get ahead of it. I love getting ahead of it. Save yourself 50% of what you probably would have had to bid to get a guy like that, especially with the type of pitchers and type of prospects we're seeing already come up early, already getting knocked out by fab. And you were going to think we're going to, we're going to see the same thing with Brandon fought when he comes up, we're going to see Kyle Harrison. When he comes up, we're going to see these guys uh, get knocked around as far as fab bidding goes. We're going to have a bunch of mini fabapaloozas throughout the course of the season for sure. All right, guys, that is going to do it. That's going to wrap it up for episode 111 of On The Wire. Please make sure to subscribe, share, review the podcast wherever you are listening. We will be back every Sunday with detailed fab breakdowns throughout the 2023 season. Of course, keep a lookout for Brett Ford's companion article over at PitcherList.com. That comes out every Sunday afternoon as well to get his takes and recommendations as well. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin, who's not here with us today, is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. I like take this time to once again thank my guest, Brennan Tuma, for joining me. Brennan, thank you so much, man. Hope you had a good time here with me today. Thank you so much for taking the time to get some recommendations out there. And hopefully we'll get you back on at some point during the season. Absolutely, man. I love talking baseball anytime. Obviously, you do as well. So it's a good mix. And yeah, I hope to do it again. All right. And after all that, of course, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye.